Bob Cooney back with another edition of the practicality of virtual reality brought to you by HTC Vive, where we talk to the leading innovators who are actually deploying VR technology into business segments and creating real use cases. And we're going to talk about the value today of virtual reality for firefighter training. How cool is that? And so with me, I have an esteemed panel, Misty Spring Grant and James Mullen and um, Fiona Ward. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? You do a way better job than I will. Um, Misty, do you want to kick it off? Hi, I'm uh, Misty. I actually work for Ventia. We have a, um, a private fire service that we look after the Defence Force in Australia. Um, and we've been working with Flame for, I think it's roughly four and a bit years now. Um, and yeah, super exciting with all the new um, technology coming through. Cool, Fiona. Hi everyone, my role is Chief Customer Officer. So I've joined Flame about four months ago. I've come on board to really work with our customers to understand how we can embed this as part of their training curriculum. Um, so it's been an exciting journey. James. And uh, yeah, look, uh, good, to, good to see you, Bob. Uh, James Mullins, founder and CTO of Flame Systems. So I've been part of Flame since its inception about five years ago now. Started developing the, the technology in sort of 2014. And my background is in, in medical robotics and police and counter ID robotics. So perhaps, you know, I can give you a little bit of a background of, of where the technology came from. Yeah, I'm curious. How'd you get from robotics to, to VR simulation? Yeah, look, so certainly VR is, is, is not my background. You know, I'm a strong believer in surrounding yourself with people smarter than you are and, and or smarter than I am. And we, we got some, uh, some amazing VR talent on board early. But I, I guess the con the, we, we conceived the technology around back in 2014. My, my background is I'm a third generation firefighter here in Australia. Uh, I grew up with dad on the fire truck and I was three or four years old going for a drive in the fire truck. And unfortunately, we can't do that here in Australia anymore. It's... Um, it's a bit dangerous, apparently, but you know one of the one of the challenges we saw is that getting access to live fire hot fire training was really really challenging. And so this was about the time I was doing a lot of work with robotics in the military. We were building robots for counter ID bomb disposal. We developed technology based on what's called haptics, force and touch feedback that we could render safer an IED or or pull apart an explosive device or brush sand off a landmine from from maybe a mile away, and and that technology and had a very high accuracy sense of touch and allowed us to, to basically reach out and touch the virtual world. As part of that work with the military, I was exposed to some of the work that they were doing in, in tactical shooting training and training people how to use firearms more effectively and thought, why can't we do that for firefighting? So one of, one of the so challenges... What, what year was this about? When you, when yeah, you this, this was about, about 2014, 2015, somewhere oh, wow, around there. Early. Yeah, very, very early days of, I guess, consumer VR was starting to become prevalent um, or starting to to make noise in in the industry, but but it was really still in the lab. You know, it hadn't sort of made it to the the consumer hands yet, but people were starting to talk about it. So I guess you know we we sort of built out a very early prototype, and as I said, it was pre pre consumer VR. It was it was kind of clunky. It wasn't a great experience, but it gave people a, a, an idea. And as soon as the the original HTC came out, we got the HTC Vive came out. We got access to to one of the dev kits and started building a content in that platform. And we do what's called kinesthetic learning, learning by touching and feeling and interacting. So it uses that haptic technology that I mentioned before. And, and really it's about immersing the firefighter in the firefight, 
in the environment that they're going to be immersed in visually and audio or visually and with audio as, as you'd expect in VR. But we also give you the other senses as well. So things like force feedback at the fire hose, it will literally try and pull you off your feet if you're not in the right pose. We heat you up to a couple of hundred degrees Fahrenheit, depending on how close you are to the fire. We capture your metrics, your biometrics, so things like your respiration rates and your heart rate so we can understand the physiological stress that you're being placed on, placed yeah. in, and, and capture all of those sorts of things. But, you know, I, I guess coming back to the start, we... We got this technology, HTC were, were great enough to invite us over to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in uh, 2017, I think it was, um, when the, the Vive Tracker first came out. And we showed our technology there. And um, I probably should mention that this technology came out of a university here in Australia, and I was still part of the university at that time. And I think we went sort of fairly viral in the, in the firefighting community uh, because it, it, it was just so new and so different. You know, we hit about 1.6 million YouTube hits in a week with that announcement or that showcase of that technology. And, you know, that that's when the university that I was a part of decided to spin Flame Systems out in its own right. And we sort of started in about 2018. Yeah, amazing. I, I, I was just imagining the, you know, the effectiveness of, and I want to go around the circle, but what when you were talking about like hitting them with heat and the force feedback, I thought of a of a, uh, something Mike Tyson once said, the boxer, he said, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. And so like, you know, you can go through all of this theoretical training, but until you get in that situation, you never know how people are going to really react. And, and, and so I can, I can just imagine the effectiveness of this. And we're going we're gonna to hopefully dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, Misty, I want to, I want to, thanks for that intro, by the way. It's, it's like, you guys were really early in VR and, um, and so, yeah, well, good, good on you, as they say down there, I guess. Um, Misty, you mentioned that I'm really interested. You mentioned that you have like, you, it's like a private firefighting service for the talk. What, give me a little more background on Ventia and, and, and what you guys do. Cause I'm really curious about that. So Ventia does a lot of, uh, different things, but, um, one of the main things that I work on is the defence bases. And so we do firefighting. We look after the messes, grounds, basically a bit of everything that on the defence bases in, in Australia. So we have 14 fire stations across Australia. Roughly so so the Defence Force doesn't have its own firefighting brigade. You guys hand outsource that basically. So they, they have some and we have the other like 14. So I think there's still, I think defence still has maybe two or three across Australia. Um, however, yeah, we, we run... The, the other 14 and so yeah we have about 350 firefighters across australia i manage 164 of them myself um with the other regional managers and we have one national manager above myself so yeah it keeps us very busy um flame has been uh, i guess one of my passions since i took this role on four years ago and yeah i've been working with james yeah from day dot basically um and now fiona and i are working on other bits and pieces to help capture some of the data that's coming out of the the actual, you know, the, the flame when the guys are using it, opposed to them just having it in the station. And I'm not really sure what they're up to, whereas now I'm going to be able to see exactly what they're doing. Yeah, so, so Fiona, touch on that. Like, what kind of data are you getting and how do you think that's going to kind of change the game for how customers view this stuff and how it might change adoption rates? James can also answer this being a, a firefighter. We've gone from firefighting, especially in Australia, has been a lot of 
manual paper-based tracking. So somebody turned up to training and they did this, but there's no any individual kind of levels of performance. We've developed and we're developing a data analytics platform, we're calling it Capture. And what that's able to do is collect both the subjective observation events. So if there's an instructor, they can get into quite a lot of detail and, and capture those events, but they can also capture, as, as James was saying, some of the haptics. So what's happening um, from a heart rate, from their breathing, but also um, did they perform the door entry correctly? Did they, so certain, did they use the hose correctly? So some of those non-subjective absolute sort of behaviours and skills that we can capture that we don't think anybody else is doing right now. So James, I'm curious about just the, the experience. What's the experience like for the firefighter? How you know, obviously you're using haptics and environmental effects to increase the realism. What's the, what's the graphic? Are you, are you doing this in a game engine or are you using video or what types of tools are you using to create the experience? Yeah, so we, we use a game engine to develop. We're a Unity-based studio here in Australia. Um, we've got a team of about, I think it's 16 developers roughly now, I think, Fiona. Really, really great at what they do. And, and for us, it's about creating as much realism as possible at the right level to get the learning outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And so when I say that, you know, we spend a lot of effort. We've, we've got, I think, 40,000, 50,000 hours in our physics engine. So developing really, really accurate fire, water, smoke, firefighting foam models of, of how everything interacts. One of the challenges, I guess, in, in this domain in, in virtual reality is we've got a lot of physics modelling to happen in a very, very short period of time um, to get the frame rates we need for virtual reality. But from an experience perspective, people come out of our systems, you know, they might do 10 or 15 minute training blocks at a time. They could be dripping with sweat. They could be crawling around on the floor underneath a smoke layer. We're putting them under a fair amount of cognitive load as well as the physical load of, of dragging and carrying a fire hose. So it is, a, it is both a physical and mental workout that we're trying to achieve. And ultimately, we want firefighters to make mistakes in these environments because it's obviously the safest place to make these mistakes. Yeah, and that's where you learn is from making mistakes, right? So you've had to create a lot of like physical custom you know, controls for these things, you know, hoses. And so what's that, what's that tech stack look like? And, and, and how have you gone about, like what technology are you using that maybe yeah. other people are familiar with? Like talk to, a little bit about the hardware. Look, it's, it's really interesting, I guess. We're, we're a fairly complex, in engineering speak, system of systems. You know, there's a lot going on in our platform, but we try and make it extremely simple for the end user to use because firefighters aren't necessarily tech people necessarily they're very um they have a lot of aptitude in the equipment that they use but we try and take away all of the the challenges of using complex pieces of technology and when i say complex you know there's, there's a lot of technology that people are wearing so we wear a heat suit that's worn underneath the firefighters ppe personal protective equipment they wear a heat suit as a vest underneath their their, their turnout coat they hold real equipment so we use a real firefighting uh, nozzle or branch in your hand. So as you use the piece of equipment in the real world, um, that's tracked in the virtual world as a one-to-one -one representation. It feels the same way. It looks the same. It operates the same. And that's really, How really important critical. Is that? How important is that when you're, when you're doing training, like, you know, entertainment, you know, it doesn't really matter, right? But in, in, in training, how important is it that it's actually, I know in the military it is, in your space, mm. how, is it critical? Absolutely critical. That muscle memory is is really, really critical. My background, I've sort of come from working in the simulation industry. 
um, whether we're simulating aircraft or race cars and, and, you know, I've been involved in some some amazing projects over the years that we're putting people in simulators that can pull 6G, fly fully inverted, do all those kind of weird and wonderful and wacky manoeuvres. But it's really, really critical. Everyone tells us that the feel of the steering wheel or the feel of the equipment or the feel of the, the controller in their hand needs to match the real world or something in your brain switches off and you don't get that connection between the real world and the virtual immersive world you know that's something we're, we're very very critical of some of the work we're doing is some other work for the military using other pieces of equipment and it has to feel exactly the same it weighs the same it operates the same it has the same switches and knobs and, and interfaces in the real world which is why we're, we're using the, the the latest tracking technology and it's really really important for us because we don't believe as a company that controllers um, as they stand uh, are, are the best interface for, for learning because that's not what we do in the real world. We use our hands. Yeah. So what are you using for tracking technology? I'm curious. Yeah, so we're, we're certainly using the Vive trackers. We've just moved across to our product line, uh, moving into the, the Focus 3 space with the, the Vive wrist trackers that are mounted on our on our technology. And, and you know, there's some great new stuff coming through the pipeline as well from a tracking perspective. The self-tracking um, tracker or whatever they're going to call it, right? I think it will. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that tracking technology is, is phenomenal because we, we, we want to work in a wide area space. Theoretically, we can walk around a whole house one-to-one scale. If you had a big enough warehouse or, or football field or something, you can walk around that entire space. We can, you know, for, for Misty's work in the, in the aviation space, we can walk around a whole aircraft do situational training on the aircraft on the airframe because in the defense force you know you might be working on a base on a specific platform and it might be an f-18 or an f-35 but you may not have ever seen that aircraft it might only land once a year but you need to be prepared as a firefighter to protect that asset if it lands or crash lands or the pilot or whatever it is You, you need to be familiar with that aircraft type but you may not have ever seen it physically. And it could be very cost prohibitive to take your people to that place of, of where that aircraft is based. But, you know, aircraft, they will land wherever they need to, especially if they're in trouble. Fiona, when you're working with customers, what are the, when you first start talking to them too, like what's the, what's the response they get to this? My, my guess is there's a lot of initial interest, but getting them across to adoption can be a challenge. I've seen that in a lot of different verticals. What's it like in your space? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, firefighters are fairly conservative. They like putting the wet stuff on the hot stuff, as I hear often. And, and so, yeah, usually there are definitely objections. It looks a bit gamey, but it's it's not until they actually get in the kit. And I know James has seen this and experienced this hundreds of times where you just see that insight come on and go, this is actually got some real merit and then it's just about you know we we sort of go through phases as as far as working with clients there's sort of a familiarization phase where more and more people are getting in the kit they're they're playing around and we'll say play in the scenarios um, and experiencing what it's like and then they sort of move on to understanding well how does this fit in our training and does it help us with our direct dynamic risk assessment and situational awareness and decision making and that's sort of where we're really focusing on with our clients so then understanding where that fits into their training programs, which is, you know, it, it's actually quite different for every fire service, um, both nationally and internationally for us. So it's, um, yeah, it's a challenging journey, I think it's fair to say. Misty, I think you would also been on that journey with us. Yeah, I think I think the challenge, and as I think James touched on it before, is the different 
aircrafts that come onto the bases. Um, so I, I also look after Navy bases. So, you know, there's different um, equipment that, you know, is on those bases. Then we've just got the, the straight Army bases. So making sure that they are over everything and Flame has the ability to adapt to those different situations and be able to use it across the whole of Australia. So I can make sure that all our firefighters in our service are doing the same training. So, you know, having that continuity is, yeah, you can't, you just can't question it. How do you, how do you deploy? Like, do you, is this a portable rig that you take to places or do they have to come to you? Like, what's the, what, what's the deployment like? So I'll just speak on, on, so at the moment, I've only got five units, obviously, you know, a cost factor in for our company being a private service. Um, I'd like to get more and everyone knows that I talk about it a lot, but so I have one unit between uh, either two to three stations and then I switch it around every few, every three to four months and they get it in the station for that long. Whereas, and I think I touched on it before, I don't know who's actually getting across it. Like I can only trust that the um, station officers are getting the guys to, you know, have a go. The ones that I hear from and the ones that annoy James and Ned, his um, other, <laughs> other, I call him the other half, um, for information about what's happening with the unit or if there's something like that is we know that they're using it. However, I just, I'm so excited about Capture, being able to see, you know, making sure everyone is doing the same training. And so, and, and so this is something that they actually, you, you put it on site and they use it themselves. So it's kind of like a self-service technology in a way, somewhere more sophisticated than a vending machine, I'm sure, but. 100%. And I, I seem to have, well, I make sure I've got subject matter experts in each station and they're the only ones that are allowed to contact Flame so that, you know, Flame's not con constantly getting a million phone calls and, you know, I also try and make it that the guys ring around the other people in the other stations to make sure that things, you know, if there's if there's any issues or, you know, what scenarios people are doing and things like that. So the people that use it absolutely love it. I've, um, a couple of my stations use, you know, they actually put a fan up in, in the room to make it feel like, you know, when they're up on the scaffolding that they're actually getting, you know, the wind, you know, it's how much you put into it. Um, and some of the firefighters will do a lot and others will just do the absolute basics. Yeah. How many, James, how many scenario, scenarios do you guys have? And, 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 and how many are there? And, and I guess, cause I'm curious about initially I was thinking, okay, this is for new firefighters that are new on the job or, or something, but it sounds, this is an ongoing mm -hmm. training of different equipment, different scenarios. So talk a little bit about like the solution set. Yeah, look, it, it is really interesting how people are using our technology um, in ways that perhaps we didn't think it would be used as well. It's being used for recruitment, you know, fire organisations around the world. We're, we're in 40, 43 countries now, Bob, and all seven continents. So we, we just got into South, into Antarctica, actually, sorry. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's kind the of... Cold stuff, the wet stuff on the cold stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they certainly have their own unique challenges. But, but you know, so we've got in our flame trainer platform, which is what we've predominantly been talking about today, 75 different training environments, and we push out updates every six months. In our flame extinguisher, which is for training people how to use fire extinguishers, we've got another, I think it's another 65 scenarios. So we're getting up towards a couple of hundred different training environments and scenarios with our platforms now. Wow, wow that's crazy. So give me, give me three firefighting scenarios, like just so people have an idea of what, like the, the, the breadth of them. 
Yeah, so from a scenario perspective, you know, in a flame trainer platform, 75 different environments ranging from it could be a, a frigate with a helicopter crash on the rear deck that's fairly complex. It could be a structural fire in a two-bedroom house in a housing estate where, you know, it might be an e-scooter that's caused a fire. There might be casualties trapped to a motor vehicle accident on a highway where there might be a, a fuel tanker that's crashed into passenger cars and very complex scenes with running fuel and leaks and electric vehicle exposure and, and things like that. So firefighters have to work through their training, um, have to work through the challenges and uh, you know apply radio messages as they would using their local doctrine. Um, approach the scene safely and as I said we capture all of this information and, and, and understand what mistakes they are making because we all make mistakes in what we do um, but hopefully as I mentioned before these are safe mistakes and we can learn from them. And so you you have a digital twin scenario with a refinery that they came to you so you literally built a digital twin of a refinery to handle a certain scenario what is that just just how many zeros are involved in something like that and then We'll kick it over to you, Fiona, to and Misty to talk about how do you view the cost of this and and the return. How how do people justify it? I guess from a financial standpoint. Yeah, look, I guess it depends on the client. Some of our clients have digital twins already, which makes our life a lot easier, obviously. But if they don't, we've got some amazing artists that can kind of build anything. And uh, you know, I, I I honestly don't know how they do it, but they do some amazing work. And for us, it's really about learning outcomes. It's creating a flat learning environment so that the fire, water, smoke, foam and the environment all match. You know, you don't want photorealistic environments and then have fire that doesn't quite match. So we, we keep it nice and flat. People that jump into our systems understand the realism level that we create. But ultimately, it's about, you know, developing the scenarios so that the learning outcomes are front and centre in our, in our thinking. Fiona, what do you, what do you see from a, from a client like when you when you're talking to them, how do they justify, I guess, the the cost of this thing? Because I'm assuming it's not, you know, it's not cheap. And then there's there's human lives, which you know you can't put a price on. It, it's a it's a really good question because it's it's always an interesting conversation, and different services have different motivations. I mean, first thing is a lot of the services have to move their people around to hot fire grounds for their training. I mean, that's expensive. The cost of fuel. To, to run those fire grounds, you know, the environmental impact of having, of doing that as well. Not to mention um, a lot of people actually get hurt in training. So, you know, there's also that side of it. So it is a, there's definitely an environmental, there's a financial cost to this. So, and then. From your, your perspective, Missy, on the buy side, like what's, mm. you know, you're, you're asking for more equipment, you're asking for more of this. Obviously you're seeing massive benefits from it. Like what are, what are some of the, how do you view it? And what are some of the challenges selling this into the the, what, the organization, I guess, that has to create budget? So I, I guess, you know, there, there's also, for in our instance, we have unions that expect our firefighters to do a certain hot fire training every few years, that sort of thing. It costs a lot of money to get people through hot fire training. Um, if we don't have the people on the ground in, I guess it's a little different for our, in our case, we we have to have people manned on our um, defence bases 24-7, seven days a week. So there, there is no if, buts or maybe about that. Whereas the state services are a little little different. They can, you know, move people around or shut down a station here and there. I don't have that flexibility. So being able to do it in station while the guys are on crew is, you know, there's just, 
I actually don't think there's a dollar amount you can put on it, plus the safety of it. Sending them away to do hot fire training is people can take that own risk and um, put themselves through hot fire training and, you know, agree to smoke in inhalation and all that sort of thing. But with the uh, flame, we don't get those risks. Um, yes, it's it's never going to take away from, you know, the, the real hot fire, but this is a training tool that can be used worldwide. Do the, do the, you mentioned unions. I hadn't considered that. Do they do they see this as a as a valid replacement for hot fire training, or how are they ad adopting this? <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah. it's it's definitely seen as um, a training tool. You you have the I guess the the diehards that are always going to say that it it's not going to ever take over. But we're finding that a lot of hot fire training sites are just getting shut down because they're just not safe anymore people as a private company we don't want to take the risk of putting our people through to potentially get hurt or you know down the track end up with some sort of illness so i think like virtual reality is the way of the future and i, I just feel like we're very lucky to be you know on the front foot with it yeah james you'd mentioned you're in like how many countries on seven continents i think it's about 43 now well how much? So, how many of these systems have you deployed total? Yeah, look, uh, we, we're hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds now mm. um, around the world. And, and as I mentioned before, it's really interesting to see how people are using them. But from a firefighter perspective, you know, firefighters always want to see real fire. You know, but myself included, right? It, it, it's it is the ultimate way to learn. You know, unfortunately, the exposure to to carcinogens is is huge now, and we we really understand the byproducts of combustion and what they do to the human body. And and there's a lot of research into that. And and it's not necessarily just the firefighters; it's it's the instructors. The, the instructors are there every day, in and out of these extremely hazardous environments, and their exposure is is considerable to to these carcinogens. So, you know, that's kind of where we came from is trying to trying to not replace live fire, hot fire of, of by any means, but give people more access. And and we've surveyed around the world and and often firefighters probably aren't seeing live fire, hot fire training more often than perhaps every couple of years. Some more a lot a lot longer than that. And you know, skills fade is huge. You know, if we continuously refreshing our skills, you know, we, we notice that. Yeah, you'd mentioned you'd also mentioned using this as a recruiting tool. And, you know, as you know, I grew up, my 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 great uncle in, in Deer Park, Long Island, built the firehouse with his own hands and probably close to 100 years ago now. And he was a fire commissioner, fire chief. And I used to spend my summer weekends at the firehouse watching fire trucks. And so it's lots of kids have this this fantasy of being a firefighter and and what's you know how how is this being used as a recruiting tool and maybe before you even get to that what's happening with employment now and mm -hmm. and how might like i know fire i know police departments are really struggling and you see banners on the streets now where police departments are, are recruiting and i've seen that all over the world what's the state of the firefighting industry and how might this play into that yeah, look, I think it is really challenging around the world. We're seeing a very similar pattern around the world, especially in the volunteer ranks of fire services, which is still around the world, the vast majority of firefighters. If we look in the US, there's a million firefighters in the US from what, what we understand. You know, there's a couple of hundred thousand in Australia. Really, we're, we're seeing the next generation of, of firefighter probably not signing up. It, you know, it used to be very romantic. We probably used to have more disposable time that we could 
we can invest perhaps in the volunteering of, uh, of, of the fire service. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that the, the next generation, the younger generation may not have been as hands-on, maybe don't have the mechanical aptitude perhaps that, that previous generations had, and they're, they're not coming along. Uh, and so we're seeing the fire services are picking up this technology as a recruitment tool, taking it out into to shopping centres and malls. And, and saying, well, look, you can be a firefighter. You know, there's a certain level of fitness required, but it, it probably, you know, it, it probably isn't necessarily what you'd expect. And giving people that feel, you know, some it's, it's not for some people and other people will thrive on it. But, you know, people are using virtual reality at home nowadays. Um, they probably expect workplaces to be starting to adopt this technology in their training. And you know, I think it's the next ev- logical evolution of, of learning in the fire service. So I think if they see that the, the fire services are progressing with technology as they are at home, you know, we, we'll see recruitment numbers improve. Now, now down in Australia last, I guess, I don't know, maybe it was two summers ago, you had these the, this horrific um, bushfires and, um, and everybody was concerned. You have like a koala rescue simulator? <laughs> I, I think we should. You know, wildfire here, bushfire here in Australia, very similar to California to to mm-hmm. Southern Europe. Um, really, really challenging fire conditions. You know, we we had a tragedy uh, a little while ago. Now, 173 people killed in one day. The the effects of um, of, of the increasing temperatures that we're seeing are, are going to continue making it harder for us as firefighters. But you know, thankfully, it is only every you know, maybe 10 years that we're seeing these larger fires, although that might be coming, becoming quicker. But how do we keep people upskilled in the meantime? You know, we've got a lot of retained memory from those last fires in our ranks now. But as younger, newer members are coming on, how do we get them some, some basic fundamental skills yeah. so they are prepared for those um, bigger jobs? And, um, you know, certainly, certainly too, it's not necessarily just the fire attack. You know, myself as a firefighter, it's about those interpersonal skills. How do you communicate with mm-hmm. with members of the public on the ground that have, you know, may have lost everything? How do you how do you develop those soft skills and how do you train firefighters for those challenging conversations that they may need to have? How do you deal with media? You know, we 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 can train our our people in our system in all of those kinds of of ways that perhaps you know wouldn't be thought of traditionally. What do you? What do you guys see? Like, what would you like to? Where are some of the friction points? Where are some of the challenges from just a just the VR tech so far? Like, what would you like to see? You know, if you could, you know, granted the the VR genie came out and said, you know, you've each got one wish. What would you like to see um, on the roadmap come to life to make you know your lives easier or to make you know it easier to deploy or faster to deploy? Do you want to touch on this, guys, or do you want me to jump in? Oh, I, I'll, you, I'll you start. Each of you. Let's, let's start with yeah. Fiona. You, um, I'll here. think. All right. <laughs> We've got an introvert. Misty, do you want to go first? Or? Uh, for, for me, um, I, I want more units for my, my station. So I guess that's my dream is just to have, have that, have that oh, ability to have them in the stations a lot more. I think training is not just about you know, being out there doing it. Sometimes it is, they need to be able to do it in, in the station and that muscle memory. Um, the, the bonus to, to virtual reality is you get to go over that scenario a number of times. So if you make a mistake, you can redo it. Sometimes in the hot fire training, you know, in real life, you get one chance, you go through it and that's it. You don't get to go back and practice. Whereas with virtual reality, you do. So 
for me, more sets in, in my stations. That's that's all I'm looking and, for. And is that a function of budget and price for you? Yeah. yeah. In, in our company, yes. Um, yeah. we, we don't make a lot of money in firefighting, um, but these things, uh, for me, it's, it's a safety thing. So Yeah. Fiona, what, what about you? Like, in, and, and, and also touch on that in the private sector or the government sector, are you seeing, is it really budget that is limiting deployment and are there any other friction points or? Definitely budget. I think, you know, one of the conversations that often comes up is what will we stop doing? Um, and sometimes the answer isn't, well, obviously from our discussion today, it's not to say that you'll stop doing the hot fire training. This is to complement that and give people more access to training. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that is, it, it is a, you know, period. and I, I think as time goes on, you know, we, we're new, the, the services are new at adopting this kind of technology. So I think as time goes on, there'll be shift in perspective, perhaps. I think the thing that I would like to, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably challenging flame as much as I'm challenging any sort of technology here is uh, right now, this is best used as a training tool with an instructor. And I think I'm not sure what the, how the, the technology can help us, but there, there is a part to play where it can be more self-directed in the future. Not all of it, but there's, there's, there's something there that we're sort of still talking about internally. So um, that, that's, that's the thing that we, that's my challenge. Yeah, making the, making the UX to a point where um, it can be more self-directed, I think, is an opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's in a lot of industries, not just, um, not just here. We see, that, we see that in the entertainment industry, right, where, you know, these first systems required three employees and then it went down to one employee. And now they're figuring out how to make it with no employees because everybody's struggling hiring people, it seems, in every industry. Yeah, yeah James, what, what, what's the future look like for you and, and what, what magic, what genie wish would you would you uh, want granted? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting one, Bob. As a CTO, I'm trying to look out three to five years and in an industry that's that's evolving mm. so quickly, that's that, that can be really challenging. Certainly a number of the pain points I've had over the past couple of years have been improved or, uh, you know, with, with some of the tracking technology that's coming along. Inside-out tracking mm -hmm. and, and large area tracking is is certainly really exciting for us for a number of our products and future products. You know, a more intuitive way to walk around a large scale environment is is critical. Being able to track multiple pieces of of, of equipment is is really important for firefighting because we we use so many different tools, and we want to give you that kinesthetic feel of touch and interacting with those tools. Haptics is critical. You know, we will see more haptic interfaces with with our equipment moving forward. So we will be you know using various pieces. Of equipment and getting force feedback from them. I guess, you know, probably it's always going to be fidelity of visuals. We're, we're really pushing compute power to its, mm -hmm. to its limits. You know, we are modeling complex fluids and smoke and particle systems and fire and, and, and foam and, and, and pushing them into ever more complex graphical environments as well too. So, so, you know, that we're, we're probably on the bleeding edge of, of, of compute technology so you guys are you guys are using PCVR with Wi-Fi six E, I guess, with the Focus three on the most recent stuff. Yeah, we are. Yeah, on the most recent uh, technology, and 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 that's been fantastic. But you know, obviously, we've we've got a price performance challenge. I, I would say because we want to try and keep our technology affordable. We and we try and abstract all of the technology away from the end users, so they just push one power button, turn a system on, and 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 they're up and running. So we're trying to make it. It, it frictionless for the end user to use our technology and, and we've put a lot of effort into that wrapping 
effectively all of the technology and you know, working with windows to try and hide everything really as well which you know traditionally it really wasn't designed to do you know probably that's the biggest change i see is 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 you know becoming more scalable perhaps as we go to edge compute really interested in that kind of technology as well because that will hopefully drive down the price point for adoption of our technology yeah what about i was also thinking about mixed reality right the ability to go into these what would be a hot fire training scenario with a building but then not actually have to light a fire but using you know augmented reality people fire water you've been in our uh, in our lab bob i can i can see uh We'll have to get the locks changed. Uh, yeah, look, augmented reality is is really exciting for us, and um, probably up until you know a few months ago, you know, augmented reality probably wasn't quite there from my perspective. We actually started out with Australian Navy twenty seventeen demonstrating augmented reality with with it was a Vive original generation head-mounted display and a camera system that we built ourselves to push over the top of it. And AR is certainly the way to go when you've got access to your training environment. So it might be on ship. It might be if you've got access to a a burn house in the fire service where you don't want to light a fire or you can't generate realistic fires. A lot of hot fire training grounds now are moving to gas-fired training, which is great, but it doesn't give you the same realism as a carbonaceous burn, which is a traditional burn of, you know, hay or, or particle board or something and and that means it's different so if we can overlay as you mentioned things like casualties things like realistic smoke behavior in a real training environment that will certainly add a lot of value to our to our, for our users as well last thoughts i'll go around misty what what, what do you see the future where do you where do you see this thing going in the next five years Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, I know for um, our company, it's obviously getting more sets, being able to capture that data and potentially use that for, you know, uh, for their PU units as in getting their training, I guess, you know, that's a PU unit. uh, Sorry, it's their, um, sorry, I'm uh, having a mental uh, blank. James, what are they called again? It's basically the Australian standard. So in the US, it would be equivalent of NFPA standards. So yeah, so that, so in our guys have to have a certain amount of PU units to become a firefighter in our service line, and I'm hoping that with Flame we'll be able to use some of that as their practical training. So there's got to be some governmental and and organizational adopt acceptance of this as a legitimate training method to get credit because right now it it you say it sounds like they don't actually it's good training, but it doesn't necessarily give them the the credits they need to graduate or whatever yeah and at at the moment we have um you know trainer assessors in our stations and they can sign off on certain things but it would be great to be able to use this as you know a key training tool and once again it'll bring more value um to the units yeah, Fiona, where where do you where do you see this stuff going in the in the next few years, three to five, maybe? Aspirationally, you know, in my role, you know, we'd love to see one of these in every station and have it truly embedded into the t- training doctrine for for any fire service. That that's our ultimate goal. But also, you know, from the other side, just also understanding how this can also help with um, health and well being of firefighters. So preparedness and and also you know returning to work um on the other side as well so um yeah it it is a a full end-to-end everything from recruitment through to return to work aspirational sort of journey that we're on james with your robotics background do you see you know virtual reality robot 
firefighters or drones or what do you <laughs> what do you guys what do you see in the in the edge of your horizon out there yeah look the out of the possible is is, is pretty exciting bob i i think yeah certainly remote telepresence is pretty exciting you know i think we're quite a few years off that yet in the environments and the agile decision making that that, that we have to do or have to make as firefighters now and, and some of the challenges of, of maneuvering inside of these challenging environments isn't quite structured for, for robots just yet. From a tech perspective and, and from an implementation of our technology perspective, really it's about getting people exposed to this kind of technology. You know, I've lost count of the number of times where we've, we've gone into a fire service and, and the crusty old firefighter sitting in the back of the room with arms crossed and takes a bit of peer pressure to get that person into the system. But as soon as you do, they really understand the value of this kind of technology. Yeah. So it's about changing that mindset, changing that perception about what you can and can't do in this system. And it's a good enabler for older firefighters to be able to put younger firefighters in to explain mm. their experiences. And, and and I think that's where you really get people, is getting people inside the platform. And we've put it, millions of firefighters through now. Yeah, really interesting. And it could be a way to lengthen careers of older firefighters and turn them into you know trainers in a way that isn't quite maybe as physically demanding as, as some of the old training you know, methodologies. That's interesting. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, cool. One for us old folk. <laughs> I've got the gray hair, Bob. Don't worry, I'm getting there. <laughs> you can't let it grow that long, though, because it's a fire hazard. I have to stay away from open flames. That is true. Yeah, I'd have to lose the beard, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, I really want to thank you guys for shedding some light on on what's one of the most fascinating applications of virtual reality that I've actually come across. Like you guys have been doing it for a long time. The fact that you've already got scale at that level is kudos kudos to you for uh, for pushing that out there. And I think it's a testament to the quality of the of the solution and the value that it brings to to the firefighters. So yeah, well done. Good on ya. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Bob. If people want to know learn more about this, how do they how do they learn more? Yeah, so just jump onto our website at flamesystems.com and uh, you'll be able to find out where to contact a local distributor. F-L-A-I-M-E system? F-L-A-I-M dot, yeah, flame, F-L-A-I-M systems.com. Yeah, we can't spell, but it gives us some unique positioning. And um, and Misty, what about what about Ventia? If there's large organizations that need private firefighting or other governmental services, you can always look up uh, ventia.com.au. Thank you all for taking some time out of your out of your day for sharing um, with the the VR and broader community about how you know VR is actually a practical solution. This isn't something that's out in the future. It's something people are using every single day now to solve problems and to. And to and find better ways of doing things. So until next time, I'm Bob Cooney on behalf of HTC Vive, and this has been the practicality of virtual reality for firefighter training. We'll see you next time. <laughs>